Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of According to Alan. I am Alan Moskowski, and today we are fulfilling our diversity quota. Absolutely. And we, you're our first Englishman <laughs> yep. on the podcast. You are a soccer player, dad, and general manager of South Shore Jack Wire. General manager, yeah. I'll oh, take it. Nice. <laughs> Jack Pearson. Jack, thanks for joining. No, my pleasure. Great to be here. Appreciate what you do in the community for the media and advertising and the entrepreneurial spirit of the area as well. Thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, this is your second time in the office? Yeah, yeah. First time podcast? First time podcast, yeah. One of the, I was telling um, one of the guys at work, and they're like, okay, podcast Pearson, blah, blah, blah. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I can get that trend in if I do more than one. I don't know. But okay, maybe nice. One follower, probably my wife, Nicole, but that'll be it. <laughs> yeah, well, Nicole is a local 219 member. Yep. <laughs> she's, uh, she's running around. If you've seen anything on our social media stuff, that's Jack's wife, Nicole. She's the brainchild behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. She, uh, I think she keeps you guys organized a little bit, but um, she enjoys what she does. She actually comes from a very corporate marketing background, so she enjoys loosey-goosey and doing lots of cool thinking outside the box. And, and uh, yeah, she's enjoying her time with you guys for sure. Well, I feel bad for her because I think people uh, like, that watch our stuff think that it might be a bit that we're like that frat housey, but it's real. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> first couple of times she comes home she's like yeah they um they're pretty cool but she didn't really go into it and then after a while she's like, okay no that's just how they are like that's they're kind of a little bit nuts but i can keep them organized a little bit and um but she really enjoys getting out of her comfort zone as well and you guys challenge her as well so she's really enjoying working for you guys it's all crazy. the time every really <laughs> enjoying it really enjoying it <laughs> like how many times she's had to tell us that she doesn't want to be on camera or yep. she doesn't want to be in pictures or anything but then it's like every week we nudge her a little bit further into it get her on camera Yep. Yeah. You want to see someone awkward? Get her on camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so bad for her because there's days she's trying to like, even actually an hour before this podcast, we had a meeting and she's sitting there really trying to do her best to just organize the next two weeks. And we're sitting there just getting distracted every five seconds. Yep. And it's so hard. to. I, I can only imagine the what's going through her brain. Yeah, she. Um, yeah. But, you know, she has some therapy that she goes to in terms of target shopping. Um <laughs> Amazon Prime winner, like three years in a row. Um, like you need anything from Target or Amazon, she, she's the girl. So that's kind of a little therapy on the side, which we have daily arguments about as well. So Nice, nice. Well, she's all right. <laughs> I have gotten to hear a little bit about who you are as a dad. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like we're very relatable. You and I are on the same boat I of that I think one. so, yeah. We probably get told off about the same type of stuff as well. For so. sure, for sure. We should start a podcast called Bad Dads. Bad Dads, yep. yeah. Especially, you and I. Especially time management in the morning. That's the worst thing, you know, oh. getting the kids ready and you know that typically men's men disappear somewhere for 20 minutes and enjoy themselves and get yelled, yelled at oh yeah getting ready for work and whatever why are you still upstairs <laughs> <laughs> my average time in the bathroom is like somewhere between 25 to 32 minutes yep somewhere and, in there yep and I, I push it as well just to see how much it wind her up as well you know oh so yeah you just gotta push it a little bit every now and then so. yeah keep her on her toes <laughs> absolutely well and we first met a couple years ago now at this point when we were doing some video stuff for the jaguar land road over uh south shore guys and uh you were incredible on camera by the way i don't know i mean you've got me here you said i've got a face for the radio so you had me on camera for a little <laughs> bit <laughs> well we wanted to do i mean it was just like a really cool thing most of the times we do these shoots 
And there's like a level of anxiety to it, right? That yeah. like there's one that's like we're having a full down meltdown and people are crying on camera and yep. can't get a sentence out. Yep. And then there's a 10 of people who seem like they've done it a million times and feel the anxiety. Yep. I think it's really like a sports metaphor. Everyone plays sports and has a little nerves before the game. Yeah, it was. Um, so I started selling cars in, I think it was 2012. Did a couple of YouTube videos in 13 or 14. And it's, it's on there at the previous dealership I worked with. And I was horrendous. And I think it takes three or four years to just feel a little bit more confident. And so <clears throat> the guys the guys and girls that I work with um, challenge them to do videos and other stuff um, meet on social media. And they're bad for about a year, but it's, it's a good bad because they just learn and, and then they get more confident. And now they're just killing it. And it's really cool to see. But yeah, yeah, that's where we met a couple of years ago. It was good fun. Oh, yeah. And speaking to your point of that, I mean, this is probably my... F- I mean, I don't even know how many podcasts I've hosted, um, and I don't even know how many videos I've been on at this point, but I never really loved it. I mean, even to this day, I don't, it's not like something I'm like, I want to be in front of the camera, and man, the growth of just doing it. Yep. And just like, like just learning from yourself doing it, and just like, you're right, like, it, it's at least a year. Yeah, it takes a, takes a, takes a while, but the more and more confident, and um you know, you convey the confidence after a while as well. And um, I think everyone can see that. But if you look nervous and you feel nervous, um, you're going to keep hating it. You just got to push through that barrier and then get, get on with it, basically. You know, which is... Damn right. Which is kind of my advice. So, how, you know, how do you get better? And he's just kind of got to get on with it. <laughs> yeah. My battle, I feel like, that I fight daily on, on, like, content is the battle between sounding pretentious and looking pretentious to, like, being personable. Because, like, I don't try to be pretentious, but then there's just times it just comes out, and then it's like, damn, dude, that's not how I wanted to be projected. But then it's like, at the end of the day, you're just doing it, you know? Just just be authentic. I've, you know, when I describe cars, which is most of the videos that I do, I've I've got three or four different things that I seem to always say, but just try and tweak it. But if you try and sound a little bit too over the top, it's... and, and you try and sound more like a commercial, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to be authentic and, and just go for it. And you're, you're okay to push the boundary a little bit. Like, I remember we did one video and I just said, this, this car is sex on wheels. And he was, <laughs> oh, you can't say that. I'm like, it is, man. Like someone's spending $100,000 on a freaking Range Rover. Like it's sex on wheels. People are buying it for, for sex. You know, yeah, and yeah. You, you're selling the sex appeal of the car and, oh, I don't know if you can say that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Break the boundaries, dude. <laughs> I love it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your story, because being the first Englishman on a podcast with us, that's really fun. Get into a little bit, because like I don't even know what the immigration side of it is. I'm like fourth generation Polish. Yeah, I, I don't. I have no like affiliation with what my predecessors are like. My, what, are the, what is that called? I don't know. People always go into English history. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, I don't even know what that process is even like. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Like, so how old were you when you got over? And like, what was the process? What was the? How did it feel? Yeah. So, so my journey actually started a few years ago. It probably started when I was 16 and um, played soccer, football. So apologies for flipping back and forth between those. So I was playing football uh, when I was about 15, 16, playing for a um, club called Commentary Sphinx. And it was an under sixteen, under eighteens team at the time. I was, I was, I was good, good football player growing up, and um, got scouted. We played a game against a professional team called Nottingham Forest. And the sports systems in the UK are completely different to what they are in the US. So, in in the UK, the English soccer teams, you've got a first team, you've got a reserve team, then you've got a youth team, which is basically 16, 17, 18 year olds 
competing to be a professional footballer, to get a professional contract. And so I was playing for this non-league side. Um, we had a big game against this professional side in this cup competition and um, did well, got invited for a trial. So drove about, my dad drove me up about an hour away. I went for a trial, uh, did really well. And they were like, hey, we want you to come back for another trial. Came back uh, a couple of weeks later and they said, right, we want to offer you a contract. So you think, oh, great, you know, I'm getting a, getting a professional contract at the age of 16, 17 to go play uh, basically professional football. Professional football, you go, that's a lot of money. So the contract's 50 pounds a week. No, <laughs> is that 50 pounds a week or 50, 50 pounds a month? I think it's 50 pounds a, a, a week, which is nothing. It's like 60 bucks, you know. Nice, but nice. the lifestyle and the opportunity was crazy. I mean, so I left home when I was 16, moved into a house with 16 to 20 um, guys and around the corner from the stadium. And so basically Monday, you train in the morning from 9 to 12. Um, you train in the afternoon, then you do about an hour worth of education. Tuesday, same thing. Wednesday, you're off. You do about three or four hours of education. Wednesday, same on Thursday. Train in the morning, train in the afternoon. Friday, train in the morning, train in the afternoon. Saturday, you play a game and then you get one day off. So as a 16-year-old, you go into this professional environment of trying to become you know, a really good professional soccer player. And I wasn't that good compared to a lot of the players and um it was, it was tough, but it, it, I grew up a lot when I was 16. I mean, you think about 15 to 20-year-old guys who are just competing to get a professional contract, everyone's dream, and, but you're, you're, you're in a team, but everyone's competing against each other. So you're the kind of effing new guy. No one's nice to you. And there's a lot of bullying, a lot of hazing. Some horrible things happen to a lot of my teammates. Horrible things happen to me in terms of just like brutality of what they do to you. I had one guy break into my room, rip down all my pictures, you know, just did horrible stuff to my toothbrush, ripped all my clothes up and stuff like that. And um, just real hardcore bullying, but it made, it made you grow up. Wow, it and sounds like an orphanage. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was weird, but it was, it was kind of cool. So I, I kind of hated life the first year because I wasn't playing in the team and, um, you know, people picking on you, stuff like that. The next year you get the younger guys come in uh, so unfortunately, you know, just <laughs> natural, you kind of pick on the younger guys and the attention gets away from you. And I was getting a little bit better playing in the team, managed to be captain. And by the spring of the second year, I was there, had a bad ankle injury and um, rolled my ankle, sprained my ankle really bad. And I was out for about 10 weeks. Well, there was another guy on the team called Tony, who's big French guy, he was six foot four, six foot five. He was just a lot better than me. So he was a year younger as well. So I, I didn't get offered a professional contract at that time. Tony was a lot better than me, so completely understood, but I knew I wanted to go get my education. So my coach was like, listen, we're not going to offer you a pro contract, we're going to cut you, but let's get in touch with some um, US um, colleges and see if we can get your scholarship. I'm like, perfect, that, that I know what I'm doing for four years, and I always wanted to do something a little bit different to my friends and even my family members as well, just wanted to get out of my comfort zone. Um, so I got in touch with a couple of schools, um, sent a videotape of me, it was maybe 15 minutes of me playing um, it's actually on YouTube. Um, it's got like 600 views. I think nice. five, I think, well, yeah, I think 550 are from me, um, can refresh, <laughs> but so anyway, the, one or two people may have seen it and um, got offered a soccer scholarship at university of Dayton, Ohio. Never heard of Ohio, never heard of Dayton, but, um, Dayton's a fun campus though. Dayton's fun. It's it a was, fun campus. Yeah. I mean, talk about just taking opportunities as, as they come, got, got sent a brochure, um, in the mail, 
spoke to a coach, had to start, had to learn all the American soccer lingo. Um, just little things like Americans always say, like touch base, great job, add a boy. Like it was crazy, just the emails <laughs> coming through. Had to get through the NCAA clearinghouse. And then next thing you know, August, I think it was August 2nd, 2008, got on a plane, came across to Dayton. Wow. So went through preseason and um, there wasn't, I wasn't quite making it into the, in the preseason games, I wasn't starting. So I had to really fight uh, for my place. Managed to. Uh, what position did you play? So I played center back. So as you can see, I'm the, I'm the big tall guy with a big forehead. So really good at heading the balls. My forehead, my hairline used to be about two inches lower, but <laughs> with all the um, headers I've done, I think it's, tri- I think it's chipped away. <laughs> and, um, so I had a, had a really good soccer career at Dayton, loved it, and then met uh, met my wife in the summer of... Hold on a sec. We're flying through your, your biography We're flying through. Okay, Can yeah. You, let, no. me, let me slow down a little bit. Let me let me rewind a little bit back to um, the house okay. that you're with the, with, you're with okay. the guys. So set the, ta- set the table for us a little bit. So you mentioned a Frenchman. What's the average age range in that house? 16, 17. Okay, so there's not like a 22 year old in there. No. Okay, no. so then it's it's you're it's kind of manageable when it comes to like learning curve. Your yeah. your shenanigans are all on the same level. Yeah, and they and, you know and the coaches want you to express yourself, but there's there's a there's a couple of lines that were crossed, like just um, just people do bad stuff to each other just to bully you and just oh, to yeah. push yourself out your comfort zone. And um, well, I think anybody who's played competitive sports, like I, for myself, I played baseball. Yeah. And my freshman year in high school, I got hazed. It was like, uh, you're, you ever hear what a pink belly is? Uh-uh. So <laughs> it, it, it was crazy as my coach set me up for it. I was in the, I was a freshman uh, dressing varsity and they, I, I was just sitting at the front of the bus, just trying to not get in the way. Right. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, hey, can you go send the scorebook back there? They want you to do As soon as that happened, they pin you down. And then they lift up your shirt and they all take wax at your stomach. Oh, no. It sucks. <laughs> sucks. By the time I was like a starter on varsity, which was the next year, I was like, we're not doing that shit. Yeah. I ended it quick. But it's because it was like fucking traumatic, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we had, we had one guy who walked into the um, dressing room once and he'd got, you know, back in the day, it was like, if you had Calvin Klein boxers, you know, you were the shit. It's like, oh, look at me. I've got Calvin Klein boxers. So... He goes for a shower, he comes out, and um, one of the lads just cut the Calvin Klein kind of um, banner at the top just off. So he's just got plain boxes with no top <laughs> boxes, <laughs> threw away Calvin Klein. We had bananas cut up and put in the ends of people's shoes. So, you know, you get ready, put your moisturizer on, do your hair, whatever, and you go put your shoes on, and you just feel a squelch at the bottom of your feet. As oh, you your shoes and that up. can't be easy to get can't, out. Can't get them out. Can't get them out. Oh. Um, you know, one lad had a new tracksuit and, um, you know, they just cut the, from the kneecaps and below, just cut the jogging bottoms off. Wow. So he's just basically walking around in jorts, you know, this really nice tracksuit. And what do you do? Because he's got no other, he's got no other pants or trousers to wear. So he's just, uh, <laughs> he's just walking back to the house like that. And of course, no one says anything, so no one really knows who it is. And you just ha- you just have to take it. It was just crazy stuff. Wow, like that. Now, does that time. bring the team together, or does that separate it a little bit? It separates it a little bit. And looking back, you know, I kind of learned a lot of leadership lessons from that about how people feel in a new environment. <laughs> but it but it also it hardened me quick. It sure. hardened me really quick. And sure. I, and I did I did notice when I came across to America that the guys in the college dressing room weren't quite ready for like a little bit of the level of banter that I was bringing as well. So I had to tone it down. You know, I'd had some really, really good teammates, but 
they were like, Pearson, pushing it a little bit here. You can't do stuff like that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I was, well, like, I was like, but, but we just used to do this like two years ago in this professional environment. They're like, yeah, you can't do that in America. Damn. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. And so were these <laughs> kids from all over Europe? All over, all over the world. There was a lot of Scottish, a lot of Irish, uh, French kid, kid from China, Australia, uh, I think one American. And um, yeah, so all over. I mean, that, that was a cool wow. thing. Like so that's, you, a, that's a cool like jump into culture. Yeah, and just how to speak to different people from different diverse backgrounds. You know, there was, there was, there was poor people from a real poor family and this was, this was their life. If they didn't make it, then they were going to be stacking shelves at Walmart for the rest of their life. Like, you know, the family and everyone's relying on them to do it. There was other kids from really good backgrounds that if they, if they didn't, if they didn't make it, Oh, again, okay, it's not the end of the world. They've, you know, they're clever enough. They've got their education and underneath the belt where they can go to university and do something different. And then there was kids that were just like, you didn't think they would make it, but they did. And there's one kid, um, well, one kid, he's 33 now. Um, Carl Darlow, who was my roommate at one point, really good, really good guy. And, um, you know, he's playing professional right now. And I still text him every now and then on Instagram and just like good game of the weekend, blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, that's kind of cool. So I've still got a lot of friends that have come out of it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just strange leaving home when he's 16 and wow. just living in a group of guys and just talk about, you know, having to grow up quick. And, yeah, because yeah, um, I mean, there's really no precedent for that in the United States. I mean, the closest thing in baseball is like the Dominican does a lot of that. Yeah. They, they house like 30 kids and then they, you know, the yeah. best of the best make it. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it might, you know, 100 kids come through, three to four might make it. You know, so it's out wild. of our group, we had we had one guy really, um, Carl Darlow, and the rest, you know, don't know. I mean, a lot of them, they just don't make it. They might go play semi-pro and get a job on the side, but... Um, for me, I'm just glad I kept up my education because that was a way for me to not become a pro pro soccer player, even though I didn't know if I really wanted to, but it just allowed me to then spring into and get an education in America. And, you know, the, the cost of education over here at the good schools is, is really high. So to get a soccer scholarship, I mean, that was life changing because there's no way I would have been able to come over without a scholarship. So, Crazy. That, I mean, that just that's changed my Changed my whole life. So when you were looking for universities to to attend, it was like America it? Yeah, I was um, I was just pumped up about America. There was a show that came out on um, the BBC at the time, and it was called... Um, it was something to do with a frat house. I can't remember what it was. And it, it was basically portraying this amazing lifestyle. And then I spoke to a couple of other guys who'd come over from England and gone to America, and they're like, dude, it's like American Pie. And, you know, as a... 17, 18 year old, you're oh, like, yeah. oh, American Pie? It's like that in America. They're like, yeah, it's kind of like American Pie. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Like, just find me a decent, decent team to go play for. So um, I'd messaged a few teams. I nearly went to Green Bay and Wisconsin, uh, but then looked at what the temperature was there and found <laughs> out there's underground tunnels to walk to classes because it's that cold. And Dayton just seemed to be the right fit, right scholarship package. There was a couple of English guys there. There was Bulgarian guy, French guy. Um, guy from Ghana and I'm like man this coach loves the di the diversity I'm like I'm gonna fit right in here so and I did and it was the best thing I ever did awesome and like yeah. that's a different experience because you know I think for anybody who's played like college sports like you're talking about when back in England you know it's like you've got 16 17 year olds you're rooming with yeah but at the end of the day like these are 22 year olds these are men at yeah. you know and from a maturity side yeah um, especially athletically, it's yep. like a, such a jump. Yeah. Um, so, what is your experience like? Like, what, so are you living in a dorm when you go to Dayton, or like, Li what's that look like? Yeah, li live in a dorm, um, and then 
you know, we get there about two or three weeks early to do preseason. So there's no one else on campus. So we kind of get a feel, I get kind of a feel for the, the dorm, um, the soccer facilities, what's going on. And I know that, hey, I'm not going to go in the starting team right now. So I better bust my ass and figure out how to get in the team. And even though the coach has just, you know, basically signed me for a four-year scholarship, I had a big argument with him like after two weeks. I'm like, coach, I didn't come out here to sit on the bench. Um, you know, I could be the number one guy, just a real raw testosterone approach to it and he just lit me a new one he's like you don't speak to me like <laughs> I kind of learned about a little bit about American leadership and and um, he just put me in my place he's like you will not play with that attitude blah 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 and it just so happened the next day the starting center half um, Randy Dennis who was a incredible guy and um, he got injured he rolled his ankle and he couldn't play so I think my coach was like fuck I gotta play Pearson now but in a way it was perfect because he's like all right, come on, you little shit. Like, yeah, you show us talk now. to me like this. And I remember, so, so in a way, we our motivations were aligned that I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong, but by doing that, I'm going to do absolutely everything I can for the team. So first weekend we had, um, it was a home tournament in Dayton and we kept a clean sheet, um, which is a shutout in America. I, I always forget which one's which <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Been over here for so long, um, which is good for a you know defender. And then the next game was on Sunday afternoon and I scored the game winner so then my coach is like all right he can be he's in the team so then Randy couldn't get back in the team and he was meant to be the main guy um that year and so it just happened like that and I thought well you know coaches let me up I better not talk to him like that but I just need a it just kept my standards really high for for at least two years to just be like shit if I if I drop them and I don't do well then this other kid's going to get in and, um, you know, all, all the time, I think about stuff like that all the time, just related to the business world as well, working um, oh, yeah. at South Shore, just, hey, you let your standards drop, there's always someone better than you yeah. that, that can come in. And I think there's a real lesson in uh, facing adversity there too. Oh, yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, so many people crumble under those kind of circumstances, yeah. you know, so it's awesome to face it and then like see the motivation behind it, Yeah. you know, because it, it's a help. It, it is a motivation helper. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've always had that inner drive. Um, I'm pretty realistic when I know if someone's better than me or not, but I, I just don't like wasting opportunity. And I thought, shit, why would I come out here if, if I'm not going to play? So, you know, thankfully that happened because I don't know what would have happened if, you know, Randy didn't get injured or whatever. I think it would have still broken the team, but um, that kind of set me up for the next four years to stay at Dayton. Um, well, nice. So. so is there a, so after playing, I mean, the professional side of it at the level you were, then going to D1 and playing soccer, is there a big difference in style? Like, do you feel like you're kind of like coming into it a little more advanced or do you feel like you're, you're the, you're the underdog again and you've got to kind of make your way through? You know, it's, it's a good question in, in the UK, it's very technical, very tactical, in America, it was like, if you had a shit game and you lost 2-0, it's like, all right, we need to go in the gym and lift more weights in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's well and good being the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, but if you don't know if this guy's got a good left foot and the technique of how to defend him, if you don't know how to defend the, against the opposition's tactics, then what's what's the point? Um, so it, it was the American a lot more physical, and there were some animals on our team as well. Oh, yeah. You know, there was just animals. I mean, we did a two-mile run that was our uh, fitness test and there was a guy who did like 954 uh, not 954 you think low 10s for a run and you know everyone else was coming in about 11 30 you know it was 90 seconds quicker then he was the strongest in the gym he could bench press the most but he was kind of useless you know but he was always in the squad because he had the highest level of 
drive and physique. So I'm like, why, why would this guy, you wouldn't put this guy anywhere near a soccer ball, but the coach like loved like the example he set. Um, so it's a little bit more of that, um, very physical. And also the team talks are different in, in the UK team talks were very, very technical and tactical. Like, okay, this team does this well, so we need to break this down. We need to show this guy this way. Um, we need to attack at this point. The American um, team talks were just like, um, what's that movie? Any Given Sunday, yeah. where you just want to run through a brick wall for someone. You don't really know what you're going to do tactically or technically, but man, like you would get, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up. People would be like, we're going to give every inch to, we're going to climb this mountain. You see this fucking mountain out here? We're nowhere near the top, but we will be there after 90 minutes and we will win a championship. And you're just like, let's fucking go. <laughs> And it was just, but I, I loved it in a way, you know, because everyone's just pumped up. We blast the music in the changing rooms, but then you'd sometimes go out there and go, oh, shit, this team's really good. Like, I've got no idea what to do <laughs> technically or tactically, but man, you were pumped up to run around a lot. Um, so that was, that was kind of a, a little bit different. That's hilarious. And, yeah. So did you guys have any success on the field? We did well, you know. Around the pitch? Yeah, yeah, we, we did well. We were ranked um, the first two years. We did really well. Um, I was lucky enough to be an All-American. I had a good team that allowed me to score a couple of goals, keep clean sheets. And then um, we had a massive um, senior class that left at the end of my sophomore year. Um, so that was really challenging going into my junior year because we, ha- we, ha- we brought in like 14 freshmen on a mm. roster of about 28. And you talk a little bit about the new generation coming in who... I hate to use the words millennials, but you know the younger crop, and and it, they didn't have always the same core values as a lot of us older guys did. Um, you know, drive determination, and then you have to rely on them because they're automatically in the team just based on based on um, you know everyone leaving and based on the overall numbers. So that was challenging. We we sucked our junior year, and then senior year we picked it up a little bit again. I was lucky enough to be captain, and. Um, yeah, second two years, we weren't as successful on the pitch as what we should have been, but probably helped me grow and learn a lot about leadership second two years versus oh, yeah. the first two, just because we had to go through adversity. You know, you ha- we went through a lot of adversity. I went through a similar situation when I was the pitching coach for baseball at Purdue North Central. Mm-hmm. Um, got there, and they were a team that was like predominantly older. The head coach liked to bring in a lot of JUCO transfers yeah. to kind of solidify um, the strength of the team. But of course, the year I'm there, it's like the JUCO guys failed out yep. by 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 spring, like yep. by spring, and then we get into like so like there's a lot of young guys playing, yep. and you don't realize it at the time, but those little mistakes that guys don't make after year one or year two, yep. those accumulate to losses. Oh yeah, quickly. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and most of the college games are lost by one goal. Like the margins are so small. Uh, college soccer, it, they're kind of fun to watch, but. In terms of high scoring, which Americans, of, of course, love. And um, and that's why I don't think soccer is ever going to be as popular as basketball. <laughs> <It's not gonna laughs> have an 87-72 game in, in soccer. But um, <laughs> we would lose by one goal. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was just a simple mistake that older, more experienced people didn't learn. All that self-discipline wouldn't allow the team to get in a position um, to concede that late goal. And, you know, you lose a couple of games 1-0 and it can ruin you season because the, the the seasons are so short in college soccer i mean the 15 18 games that's it so you lose three games on on the bounce and and you're in trouble you're in trouble you don't make the you don't make the conference you don't make the playoffs oh yeah um you fell out pretty quick 
So what is so we're talking a lot about your playing days uh, athletically, but what's the culture shock like being at a university? Because I mean, it's not like you were nineteen once before, then you'd be no. able to be nineteen again in America. What's the culture shock like for I mean, parties, school, social life, that kind of thing? L- loved it. Um, I mean, th- there were a few advantages to being British. Um, on yeah, a, I could imagine being eighteen, nineteen on an American college campus. Um, loved it really, but it was hard for me to get my head around because obviously the drinking age is twenty-one. In the UK, it's eighteen. But really, that means everyone's been going out since they were 15, 16, 17 into the pubs <laughs> and clubs. So for them to go into an environment where you're not allowed to drink, you're not allowed, to, you know, you have to hide the little cans of Natty Light in your dorm room um, or Bush Light, whatever people were drinking back then. Just strange. Um, just strange. I remember I got written up by one of the RAs in my sophomore dorm and I just kind of lost my shit. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I've been drinking since I'm 15, 16. And I'm not a big drinker, but I'll, you know, if there's a party, whatever, you can have a couple and have, have a good time. But that was probably the biggest shock. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it was, yeah, but, but loved it. You know, love, loved Americans. I mean, they're so nice, so genuine, sometimes ditzy. And um, you get a couple of drunk ones that you can, tell a few little lies to about England and they have no idea what you're talking about, but you know, they, they kind of go along with it just cause you've got an accent and they, they, they just think you're not bullshitting them. So that was good fun messing with people. And you know, the English had got a very dry um, sense of humor, a lot of sarcasm, and it wasn't always understood by the Americans. So that was quite good fun for some of us Brits who went out by, I, I love America. Like I just, I just love life in America. Nice. And I had a really good time in college as well. Did you have a lot of any other British people at, at the at the campus? Yeah. So we had the first year we had seven foreigners. Um, couple, the, my roommate was actually English as well. Uh, his name was Luke, and then Ryan Hanbury. He was a couple of years older than me as well, and he was he was great. A um, couple of Welsh guys. Yeah. So the, we did have a lot of diverse, and that helped because we would kind of laugh or go through similar challenges of the different culture so- shocks together. Um, so that helped. Just blast an oasis. Oasis, oasis, Coldplay, <laughs> and dan- dance music as well. Like it, I feel like the Americans like the dance music, like the EDM music, but that was massive growing up. Um, just like early 2000 dance hits. Like, like Darude? Darude. Um, you know, oh, there's loads of stuff. Like Roger Sanchez, um, God, Phil Alter, Ian Van Dyke, like just cool I mean that's what you listen to when you grow up in 16 17 um it was just cool and then the Americans didn't really get that when he came over and I'd never really heard country music so that was a big shock as well like, <laughs> what is this country music <laughs> so um but it was cool I love love university in America would recommend it you know st- still speak to some English people who were on the fence about coming over I'm like just come over it'll change your life if you don't like it, England's not going anywhere. You can always go back. But oh, yeah. you learn so much about yourself. You know, I came over, my dad gave me £1,000, which at the time was $2,000. Came over with a suitcase when I was 18. And it's just like, you got to figure out, you got to do your education, got to be good at school. Um, you got to make friends, you got to fit in. Um, you got to play, you, you got to do well soccer wise because you're, you got scholarships. So you, you don't want the scholarship to fizzle out. So you got to you got to figure it out, and so that's what I told a lot of people who were on the fence about coming over. I'm like, you will learn who you are, and you'll have a good time, and you're going to put yourself in a different environment. That's only going to make you stronger and better for the future. So. Wow. Okay. So that's intense, man. I can't yeah. even imagine that. <laughs> I can't. Um, from a from a schooling side, education is. I know. I mean, obviously, college is tough no matter what. Yeah. But 
Did you feel prepared heading into that? Or because I mean, you kind of just had a two year yeah. sabbatical from schooling yeah. to do soccer. Yeah, we so the education system in the UK is very, very strong. So if you pass your exams, um, they're called GCSEs, Grade Certificate Secondary Education. So you have these exams when you're 16. And based on the American uh, university and school system, if you pass those exams when you're 16, that's good enough to get you into college in America. So even though I had two years off, I'd already kind of got what I needed to do to get um, into college. I think I had to do the SATs somewhere as well, which I got no idea what my score was. But anyway, passed. My coach was like, just, just pass so we can give you this scholarship. I'm like, okay. So my dad was on at me like, hey, just pass. You know, I know you don't really know what you're doing, but just, just pass the SATs. But when the, the education system is a lot different in America. So everything, like if you get less than 90%, what's that, B? B. Yeah. In most places, yeah. So in, in England, they make the tests and everything so hard, and it's all curved. So if you get 55 60% on a math test, you might, be, you might get an A. Wow. So they set you up to fail. So everything's really, really hard. So if you get 75 80% on a test, it's typically an A, A+. Plus, you know? And so that was different for me in, in America because I was like, oh, you know, some of this stuff is pretty easy. Get 85%. Okay, we got a C. You know, and whatever that is for GPA, 2.4, 2. Yeah. whatever it is, you know, and our goal is always to be above 3.0. And um, and then um, my degree was in sport management with a minor in business leadership. But my first semester was like geography, um, oh, yeah. geology, um, you know, philosophy. And, and I'm like, what? I'm not doing this re- religious studies and stuff like that. So a lot of general education, that was a lot different because the education in the UK, if you go study something at university and you're studying business, you're only doing business. And see, that's the way it should be. My first time through college, I had to do with all the general electives yeah. and stuff, and I don't think I made it through it. No. And I started just working professionally, and I'm like, I'm just going to do that for a little while, go back to school. Yeah. But I didn't go back to school till I was 26. Yeah. And man, I studied, like, I didn't know what I was going to study. I was there to coach pitching. Yeah. So they gave me a full scholarship. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go take classes. And then I I fell in love with the English program and reverse engineered it. The only thing that sucked is I was taking those general electives later in college. But I'd rather do that than start off with that. Because I feel like so many people drop out of college because of that. And you don't really know what you want to do. And and that's one of the arguments they have for doing the general education. Well, you know, if you want to change, you get this. But if I'm doing sport management... I don't know if I need to do religious studies. I don't know if I need to do yeah. geology. Um, you know, <laughs> so weird. It's weird. It was weird. And also, you know, the university in the US is four years, and in um, in the UK, it's typically three. Wow. So that was a little bit different. That was a little bit longer. So is it three by? I mean, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question because it's 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 audio, so no one can see me what I'm saying, but. So usually with college, you take 12 full-time credit hours in the U.S. to make you a full semester. If you wanted to get really aggressive, you took 15 to 18. Yep. Is that the same workload there then too, or is it like accelerated even I think it's a different system. I mean, I know like my friends, they would would have classes on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think it's a lot more studying and theories of stuff as well and a lot of work behind closed doors, but the... The culture in the UK to go into university is just, you go there to booze. It's like, oh, Monday night you go to this place, this is student night. Tuesday night you go here. Wednesday night you'll go here. You know, and growing up in the UK, there was one um, there was one club called the Coliseum, which for sure we'd call the Collie. And on Monday night it was student night. So you'd pay £10 to get in and every drink um, once you're in was at £1. So 
shots of rum, vodka Red Bulls, you know, vod balls, um, whatever it is was just one pound. And so the, the that co- can get out of control fast. It was, yeah, and people just go there and, and just drink. And then they study a little bit on the weekend. They just take it easy because that's when, you know, general public go out and everything's more expensive. But in the week, all the local bars are just... So it's it's a little bit of a more of a drinking culture in the UK, I would say. And um, and that's why I kind of like the idea of coming to the US because I'm like, I don't really want to fall in that trap. I just want to study and, and play soccer and see what see what adventures I can do. Um, so that's a little bit different as wow. well. Around, wow. that da- around that date, and when we weren't in season, it was more get through the week. You might go out on a Thursday, might go out on a Friday, might go on a Saturday, uh, but never Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely different for yep. sure. Yeah, because I mean, it's all about the weekends and off days you have in your in your class schedule. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, so we graduate from college. So then, what starts there? Like, 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 are you still? Did you finish with a business management degree then? Yeah, I uh, got sport management or sports and, management. Yeah, sport I'm sorry. management, and then business leadership. I think looking back, I probably would have preferred to do business leadership. Sport management was okay but it was more um I, I thought i'm either gonna i'm either gonna coach sports or i'm not gonna work in sports at all because i didn't want to be like selling tickets or anything like that i didn't want to be around the sport if i couldn't have a real impact on what was going on in the pitch so i thought well if i'm not going to coach um i probably won't get into sports i'll do something different um but yeah got okay grades passed um so that was good and then but had, I mean, maybe still to stay, I don't really know what I want to do. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because you graduate, and it's like, at that point, you're probably debating going back or staying. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure, you know, I was in a long-term relationship with Nicole, my wife, and so I thought I'd want to stay out, and um, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so just somehow graduated, um, moved to Des Moines, which is where... Nicole's from and looked at a lot of jobs, whether it's just coaching little soccer teams on the side. Um, I mean, even working at a gas station just to get money at the time, Nicole had a pretty good entry level job and then met someone who was um, selling cars who turned up in a black Range Rover and that kind of sucked me in. We went out for a meal and he turned up in a black Range Rover. I'm like, what do you do? And he was English as well. He's like, oh, I sell cars. He goes, you got to come down and take a look at this place. So, um, went down for an interview at this big dealership I mean, a massive, massive campus. And they had seven different new car lines, sold, sold a ton of cars and, um, good money, a lot more than what probably would have made coaching. And, um, just thought, well, let me give this a go for the, for the immediate future. And I only had a one year visa. So I thought, well, this is going to be a little bit more money than what I might be doing on the side. Um, got one year visa. So let's just get through this period, see what I can make or see if I'm any good at it. And then, kind of figure it out from there. So that was kind of how we got in the car business. Just, wow. just by chance, just by meeting someone who's at, I'm out for a meal with and he's got Range Rover. I'm just asking him questions. So <laughs> and what a great like networking. line of cars to get into too. Because yeah. I feel like the commissions on that got to be way different than, and no shitting on like a Hyundai or like a Toyota, but like it's kind of a little bit of a different price range. Yeah, d- you know? yeah it was just different, but it was, it was really tough the first year. I mean, it, in looking back, it actually wasn't a lot of money. Uh, it was more just what I'd learned. I, I thought after six months, this is what I want to do for, for a long period of time. And it was just, how do I, how do I get the skill sets to set me up for the future? It's not really about what I'm making. It's just more about the connections at the time and, um, just trying to grow through the business. Um, and the nice thing is when you meet or when you sell high-end vehicles, 
is the people you meet as well um, are really cool. Whether it's local business owners that, whether, oh, yeah. it's, whether it's electricians that maybe started out with one van and now they've got a hundred vans and you know they employ five hundred people. Um, someone who you know been bankrupt three times but now a successful business owner. Real estate professionals who are going through same challenges as as a lot of people. Retail professionals, I mean, insurance professionals. You meet so many people um, selling, um, you know, good good brands of cars. And that's nothing against, I mean, I still enjoy selling a 5,000 odd car as much as I do 150, but the, sometimes the connections you make on the, on the higher end vehicles are a little bit different um, to some of the other vehicles you sell. Sure. And so you're uh, you're still in Des Moines selling these Range Rovers then at this point? Selling, yeah, I was actually selling Cadillacs as well and then moved over to... Um, the Jaguar Land Rover and Volvo brand. So I then became the Jaguar Land Rover um, Volvo sales manager. And um, th this was kind of cool because I, at the time I was only 25 and there was a lot of people who did not think I could do that job. And luckily had a good boss, good mentor who was like, hey, I believe you. But he also gave me a backhanded compliment and said, but no one else thinks thinks I should put you here. So just, <laughs> just, just, just pr prove me right. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me no one thinks you that I should be in this position. He's like, yeah, no one thinks you should be in that. You're too young. You got, you got no experience, but I believe in you. So another that, face of adversity, another face. I'm like, okay, fuck it. Let's, yeah, let, let's give let's it a go. It. Um, so did that. And you know, my sales, so I was 25, 26 at the time. And then my sales team, 62 year old guy, you know, 35 year old, 45. I mean, you imagine people a lot older than you in that, but they were great. They, they took me on board and was able to actually teach them a few things. And they taught me a lot of things as well. So, that was pretty cool. Um, I was really motivated to do well and, and took the same approach. I was like, I don't care if I'm good the first year. I just want to be good in year three or four. And so just learn as much as I can, ask a lot of questions. And, um, you know, car business, looking at it where I was working, and maybe some, sometimes where I'm at now is you'll, you'll find that a lot of people, there's a lot of people that aren't always your best friends and they don't always want you to do great, but you just have to try and prove them wrong. Yeah. You know, um, you know cream always rises to the top, so you just have to, just go for it all the time, do the right thing, have a good moral compass. And as long as you're doing the right thing and, you know, you've got a couple of brain cells and you work hard, you've always got a chance. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what did you like about the car industry? Like uh, in particular, like what was about the environment that kind of like spoke to you? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty fast. Um, love the marketing advertising side, um, love meeting customers. And then it, there was always something, it's good and bad. There's always something to challenge for. I mean, our kind of sales quota, we, we look at annual sales, but it's, it's it's day to day it's month to month and so you you can't ever take a day off and so it is high energy it's you know here's an american expression for you, full court press let's go you like that one yeah, you like I, that one, don't you? yeah. yeah. I use yeah. that one all the time uh, <laughs> <laughs> full court press guys <laughs> um, it's just you, you have to be on your front foot like if you're get a little bit com comfortable um you just have to be consistent with high energy all the time sometimes it's draining but um, that, that's what I kind of love. And then the, the people you meet and, you know, the, the nice thing about car business, there's a low barrier to getting into the car business. I mean, you don't need a college degree. You don't need a, I mean, you don't really need a lot. You need to be able to pass a driver's test. You need to be able to pass a drugs test. You need to be able to turn up on time and you need to know how to talk to people. Can you use a computer? That's really important now. Can you use your phone? Yep. And so the barriers to get people into car business is low. Now, the, the cool thing about that is you get a lot of people from diverse backgrounds and some people that have never been given a shot in life. You know, they're either stacking shelves at Walmart or they can make 150000 selling cars as a sales consultant if you can kind of lead, train, motivate them. And so, you know, right now where we're at, 
at our store, we've got some cool success stories like that. There's, we've got some people on the team that no one really gave them a shot. And uh, myself and our management, and our leadership and our owner gave, gave these guys and girls a chance and they're changing their lives for the family and they're creating some generational wealth for the future. And that's kind of cool to see. Super um, awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Did, I remember like a, a, like one of the times we went out to dinner, you told me a story about someone in particular who, uh, and I don't know if you want to share it publicly, but kind of had like an interesting road to like the, exactly what you're talking about, the yeah. success. Yeah. The, the, I mean, there's three people on my team. I won't name them, but they've, um, you know, one guy um, started off washing cars and just learned everything about the brands and was just a good, good good kid you know because he was probably 18 19 at the time always um early to work just really good moral compass good core values and so we made him our product specialist so he he then you know teaches when the clients buy the cars he teaches sets everything up for them which isn't easy because you've got 19 20 year old kid who's telling maybe the ceo of a company multi-millionaire hey here's how you pay your phone to range rover but this guy or girl can't really be bothered to learn anything about the car they, they, just want, they want to drive it for the status symbol right and you see so you have to um, create this environment where this guy can communicate effectively with these high net worth individuals and set everything up for them and provide premium experiences um, so he was doing that really well well the problem was he was so good at it that customers would forget who the salesperson was and they'd come in and just say hey it's so and so here it's so and so here I just want to speak to them I'm like we got to move you to the floor so we moved him to the floor and, um, you know, in the last year, we just bought his dream car that he, you know, dreamt about since he's, you know, like a little kid and since this one cool Defender came out. Um, and other, other guys who, could, you know, one guy on the team could have gone down a wrong path. Some of his buddies are in, you know, jail and this and that. And he's, you know, trying to get out of this kind of poverty line. And it's just been a joy to work with, just come in with an open mind refreshed had a decent job before but just wanted to do something a little bit different for his family and now he's our number one guy wow. and that uh, takes amazing care of his wife he's a great dad um great husband got two amazing daughters you know so you have some cool stories like that that's um, awesome yeah so that, 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 that's kind of really the perks of the job when you can develop people and ha watch them change their lives for not only themselves but for the family and you know set some stuff up for the future that's pretty that's pretty kind of heartwarming, really. Heck so. yeah. And that, and you guys, I mean, what's cool about it is you've got an awesome product as well. I mean, yeah. I like even when we would shoot those videos, just walking around and just browsing like some of the different utilities in the cars is just so cool. It's, yeah, it, really cool. Um, one thing we struggle with sometimes is sometimes you get a little bit immune to them because you buy them all the time. So we have to stay fresh and we have to go, you know, it's taken, it might have taken someone 10 years to be in a position to walk through and think, I can get a Land Rover, I can get a Range Rover Sport. And whether that's a $50,000 one or 200000 like that person's gone through some shit in their life. They've gone, they might have gone through a bankruptcy, they might have gone through layoffs, they might have done this, but something's happened in their life where they're now like, I, w I want to get this car, I want to get this Land Rover because you know, they don't need a Land Rover to get from point A to point B. They want to celebrate their own success. They want to feel good every day. And so we need we need to provide an environment um, to do that for them. We need to greet them, you know, um, in the right way. We need to manage their time. We need to manage their expectations and then go above and exceed those expectations. Um, I mean, what one ridiculously high standard we have is if someone comes in and picks up a new Range Rover and they're not crying with excitement or happiness, like we feel like we've let them down. Wow. And we get, we get a lot of people crying just because the way we set stuff up, the personalization of it, how we hype them up. And, um, you know, we're like, 
after the customer leaves, we, we kind of do a quick recap of how their experience was, if there's anything we could have done different. We're like, well, did they cry? They're like, no, they didn't cry. Man, what could we have done differently? <laughs> messed up. Dude, there is nothing better than a good, happy cry. Yeah. There is yeah. nothing better than it. Yeah. 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 And just, just you know, we have a phrase at the store. It's called South Shore It Up. And it's kind of sounds a bit tacky, but we talk about it in our sales meetings. We talk about it to our customers. And it's just having that contagious passion, high energy, and just getting people excited about doing business with us. And just knowing that we, we want them to be happy. We want them to be really excited. And we want them just to um, kind of create a life, life-changing life moment of just celebrating the success of that new car they purchased and just letting them know, they're, they're, they're kind of the man or the kind of the woman. Like, you deserve this. That's you, amazing, yes. man. <laughs> well, that's, dude, Thanks for this. This has been awesome. Yep. This is a great little circle around who yeah. you are. Yeah. Got to know a little bit more about you. Absolutely. Um, yep. Is there anything that you'd want to kind of like leave it off with? Because we're about 50 minutes in. Yeah. Um, no worries. So obviously, you know, I'm the center manager at Jag and Land Rover at South Shore, but we've we've grown and grown in the local area. We've got an amazing ownership. Um, Kirk, our owner, um, is awesome to work with. Amazing guy. Really high entrepreneurial spirit, but again, good and bad, ridiculously high standards as well. You know, just when you think you're doing good and you take your foot off the gas a little bit, he's like, no, 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 come on. Come on, we can do better. We can get more customers. We can grow market share. Um, we're just crazy excited to just do business with as many people as possible. Um, one thing we've changed in the last couple of years is we used to wholesale cars under 10,000, but now I think right now we've got five or six cars under 10,000. So um, yeah, we sell 150, 250,000 our cars, but we sell 5,000 our cars all the way up to that high price point. And so we treat someone coming in who's spending six grand, 15 grand, the exact same as if they're spending 150. Um, you know, the journey might be a little bit different, but we we just love meeting people. I got a great team. They're super passionate. Um, I fired a couple of guys who weren't passionate. And um, so, you know, internally, we have a ridiculously high standard of um, making sure customers come first. Um, but yeah, we're a good place to do business with. And if you don't know where we're at, we're on the corner of Burr Street. We're kind of in the Bermuda Triangle of Crown Point, Sherville, Merrillville. Yeah. But off US 30, we got a really nice building and we just want to meet as many people as we can and help grow in the area heck so yeah that's that's kind of all i got <laughs> <laughs> and we and that's an awesome i mean i mean i've been there myself and not trying to do like a commercial here for you no um but you know you go through a lot of dealerships in my line of work and then you know there's certain ones that like seem to stand out more than others seem to be more organized yeah and i think the first thing that stands out is that like your showroom is top notch yep right i mean you've got an amazing like lounge area yep. it feels very apple story the, yeah yeah right that's, that's the concept and then the cool thing too is just seeing that you guys wrap the cars in like your presentation bin yep. with the bow and then you play the music of people with that the they bow, really like amazon alexa i chew my sales guys out i'm like what what is their favorite song oh we don't know what the favorite song is i'm like well, what the hell are you gonna play in that delivery room when they come and pick up their new yeah car? it's just so <laughs> so cool man it's yep. so cool the way you guys yep. have it set up so I appreciate you coming on and no, sharing you your story, much. man. And I, I, we could, this could probably have been four <laughs> hours. We could have never left the yep. like, chapter one, yep. <laughs> the English <laughs> days growing up. Yep. Um, but uh, if you do like this podcast, check out other ones. Uh, we had Justin Skeins in here from Lean Kitchen last, last week, and awesome conversation. We had Spike Albrecht in here to talk about his Michigan and Purdue basketball days just in time for March Madness. Um, and a, a, a brevy of just other podcasts that we've done in the past, including my uh, – 
Conversation with a Psychic, which was pretty interesting. I listened to that the other day, actually. What'd you think? It was quite thought provoking, really. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. The first thing I knew, and Nicole, my wife, was like, oh, don't, don't tell Alan this, but I'm like, man, you have a nice voice, Alan. That was the oh first thing God. I listened to. I was like, nice. <laughs> I don't get that compliment. What's really strange, dude, and you know this by being on camera and doing audio. Is that like you're your own worst critic? Yep. You know, so when you like seem to stutter or you tend to not have like perfect words, yep. you just sound, you always think you look fat as shit and yeah. sound dumb <laughs> as hell. It sucks, dude. It's like a yeah. curse. Like half the time, if I, well, now I have to edit these. But back in the day, it's like as soon as they were done, I, I couldn't even listen to it. Yeah. It was yeah, just, just too put much. It on, just so. put it on and let it go. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. I'll, I'll keep listening as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, go into the South Shore Jaguar Land Rover. Go say what's up to Jack. Yep. Do you still have the Bond car there, or is that gone right now? The Bond car is gone. We've got a couple of crazy cars right now, though. We've got a really cool two-door Defender. But st stop in, say hi. And even if you're just in the area, you need to grab cup of coffee we have a very expensive espresso machine let's go if it fix if it breaks i gotta fix it as you know i'm so i'm also chief coffee maker <laughs> fixer but come in do some work a lot of our customers just hang out and do some office work there we've got a really nice environment so so if somebody started showing up daily what's the cutoff point where you'd have to have a conversation that maybe once a week yeah it's uh we sometimes see the same customers all the time, but that that's okay. It's it's just it's just a nice it's just a nice environment, you know. And I actually like getting out of my office a lot and try and spend a little bit more time on the showroom, grab my laptop, work at in the service lounge, and just meet people out there. We've got well, even though I'm not the biggest basketball fan in the world, this time of year, just say, oh yeah, I'm just working the service lounge for a little bit and put the basketball on. Did nice. that a lot in the winter when the World Cup was on. They're like, Jack, you're never in your office. I'm like, yeah, put the World Cup on. Yeah, and then had to, heck yeah. And then had to explain to one American sales consultant I have what, t what color America are in, which made me very angry at the time. I'm like, okay, England are playing American. You don't even know what color America's at. I'd be yeah. guilty. Yep. Actually, you guys gave me a nice learning curve this year. Yep. We went and played those guys uh, at Next Gen, right? Yep, they're great guys. That was fun. We got destroyed, but it was a good time. <laughs> and we made it look worse in the video. We actually scored six goals, but we decided to put it out for com comedic reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we went to Square Roots and watched them. We match. went to Squ Square Roots, had a couple of pints, yeah, watched the game. That was good. That was a good Tuesday afternoon. And uh, great Tuesday. Yep. That's what I love about the World Cup is the afternoon yep. drinking because yep. I'm all for it. I'd rather day drink than night drink any yep. day of the week. But uh, not always a lot of opportunity for Not it. a lot of opportunity. Probably shouldn't pick the kids up from school, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a felony in America. I, <laughs> not that I found out the oh, hard way okay, yet. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. All right, I'll write that one down. <laughs> Jack, thank you so thank much you, for coming in, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.